in a long-term strategy, a protocol of hyperbaric therapy, it's actually an epigenetic stress on the DNA itself, causing expression and suppression of about 8,000 different genes wow. that allow the body to heal and to optimize. These are genes that are responsible for growth, down-regulating down inflammation like TNF-alpha, IL-1, IL-6, IL-12. It's just a healing mechanism in all different mm -hmm. in all different aspects is the best way to say it. And optimization as well. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and our guest today is Dr. Scott Shear. Dr. Shear is an international medicine physician specializing in health optimization medicine, nutrigenomics, metabolomics, and hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Scott, welcome to the show. Sim, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm uh, yeah, really happy to have you as well. And uh, we've come to know each other over the course of this year uh, because, yeah. of, because of attending like a lot of these same uh, biohacking events and conferences. So I figured that I should definitely get you on the show because you're also an expert in your field and a really smart guy. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I know we met first at the Metabolic Health Summit back in, I think, January, February. And yeah, it's been really great to get to know you, Sim, and, and all of your work. You're doing some fantastic stuff. Well, thanks for that. Uh, but uh, let's talk about you. Like, uh, uh, can you tell us like where you're coming from and uh, how did you end up with uh, your like knowledge? Sure. So I'm an internal medicine doc. I grew up in New York, Long Island, to be kind of exact, a place called Northport, if anybody really cares. <laughs> but um, so my father is a chiropractor. I grew up pretty out of the box, you know, outside of the medical system. Alternative medicine was the, the main way it was described at that point. Now we have lots of different words for alternative medicine, functional medicine, integrative medicine, healing medicine, anti-aging medicine, hormonal management medicine, you know, all those kinds of things. But back then, it was really just alternative medicine. So I grew up very outside the box, outside the main frame of conventional medicine. I went to medical school thinking I had this high-minded possibility of bringing together alternative and conventional medicine in some beautiful practice that I would figure out later. And that practice initially started off as one really focused on hyperbaric medicine, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, because I found that it had significant benefits both conventionally for things that were covered by medical insurance in this country, along with a host of research that was being done in this country and other countries, where it was obvious to me that oxygen and pressure, the two things that we're doing in the chamber, could have massive healing potential, optimization potential. And it was from my practice in, in, in hyperbaric medicine that I created an integrative hyperbaric medicine program, my own practice that had that as the focus. And then I got involved in the optimal performance world using hyperbaric medicine as its main driver in, uh, in sort of bringing me into the world of, of optimal performance, whether it be the ketogenic diet or the bulletproof types of people. Um, paleo types of people, the health mm -hmm. optimization types of people, I guess you could right. say, Sim. Right. And so it was, it was after getting involved in integrative hyperbaric medicine that I got involved in the foundational practice of health optimization medicine, uh, founded by, as you know, uh, a colleague of mine and a friend of our, of both of ours, uh, Dr. Ted Atricoso. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really fascinating story, and uh, yeah, I, I've had Ted on the podcast as well, and he's a really really smart guy. We can talk about uh, his work later, uh, but mm -hmm. uh, like, what what is like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and how does it work, like specifically? 
Yeah, so hyperbaric therapy is super easy. And that's why I really, I think, gravitated towards it because just the simplicity of the technology and, and actually the physiology of it made me realize that it was pretty universal to both healing and optimization. So it's really simple. It's just a combination of increased inspired oxygen with increased atmospheric pressure. So typically at sea level, we're breathing 21% oxygen. And that's just normal oxygen levels in the sea level around us. Now, it might be slightly higher in places and slightly lower in places. Uh, the lowest places, maybe you probably know this, Sim, are going to be big cities where there's lots of carbon monoxide in the air and, and other gases that shouldn't be there. But the mm -hmm. most common gas in the air outside of oxygen is actually nitrogen. Mm -hmm. So at sea level, we're breathing 21% oxygen. In a chamber, we typically increase that amount of oxygen to somewhere around 100%. And so that's your first stimulus is the amount of oxygen that you're breathing. Mm -hmm. The second is increased atmospheric pressure. And so sea level is defined as sort of zero extra pressure, right? That's like normal pressure. So in, in, uh, in, in hyperbaric terms, that's one ATA for anybody who, who cares. Um, but when, once we actually go below sea level, if you go underwater about 10 feet, 33 feet, 45 feet, or the equivalent in meters, you start increasing the amount of atmospheric pressure that's on your body. And that's because water specifically is quite heavy. And you don't feel how heavy water is because you're under it and you're weightless inside of it, but, or when you're swimming in it. But water, as we know, if you pick up a bucket of water is actually quite heavy. So mm -hmm. we're actually simulating that pressure in a, in a hyperbaric chamber. And it's a combination of that pressure increase along with the in increased inspired oxygen that actually drives oxygen into circulation. Okay. Now, typically oxygen is carried on red blood cells. Red blood cells have four sites where oxygen can be carried, hemoglobin molecules specifically. And those red blood cells actually do a really good job of saturating oxygen. And so most of us that have normal lungs saturate between 97 and 100% of those sites once they pass through the lungs where they get oxygenated. But there's another way to increase oxygen carrying capacity. Well, there's a couple ways, actually. One way would be to use um, some techniques by cyclists, either legal or illegal, or mm -hmm. other optimal performance athletes where they're trying to increase red blood cell mass. So if you increase red blood cell mass, you can increase the amount of oxygen carrying capacity. So a couple legal ways to do that, as you probably know, Sim, is, is altitude training. Mm -hmm. If you altitude train, you can then increase the amount of red blood cells in circulation by increasing the natural hormone epigen. There's also illegal ways to increase the natural hormone epigen, and that is by actually just injecting it in your shoulder, in your ass, wherever. <laughs> but <laughs> you inject it, you can increase red blood cell mass that way. Right. Another way that it's done illegally is that you can actually transfuse yourself or take, get blood taken from you um, and then reintroduce that blood, retransfuse that blood in, into you right before a race or an event or a competition, and you're gonna incre increase red blood cell mass as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And so that's what Lance Armstrong and others in the cycling world are most, most famous for. Um, but in a chamber, we're actually increasing the oxygen infusion in the blood, not by red blood cell, uh, no, not, not with red blood cells, because again, red blood cells are very well saturated, but actually increasing the amount of oxygen in the liquid of your blood or the plasma. And the plasma has very little oxygen in it at sea level. And we can massively increase the amount of oxygen in that plasma to diffuse liquid O2, and it can basically go wherever it needs to go in significant more quantities as a result of that. Mm -hmm. That's the basic physiology of it. Okay. Well, yeah, that's pretty, <laughs> really awesome overview. And uh, that's pretty fascinating that you can uh, essentially like uh, mimic 
some aspects of training in altitudes with the hyperbaric chamber, if I'm, if I'm correct. Right. So immediately when you get into a chamber, you're going to be hyperoxygenated. Um, the red blood cells are all going to be hyperoxygenated uh, as much as you can. As and many sites left that weren't that weren't bound when they uh, when your body got regular amounts of oxygen at sea level. So like if you were 97% saturated, now you're 100% saturated on your red blood cells. And now you have up to 1200% more oxygen in the plasma itself. And so this oxygen in the plasma does not last more than about 45 minutes after you get out of a chamber. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's actually what's happening at the cellular level that's causing all the, the benefits of hyperbaric therapy because of all that oxygen in circulation. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, over the long term, so I mean, so what I often tell cyclists and other optimal performers is that hypothetically, yes, if you got into a hyperbaric chamber, then immediately went and did your race afterwards, you would have increased oxygen carrying capacity. That is true. Okay. But to have increased oxygen carrying capacity over the long term requires a protocol of hyperbaric therapy where you're creating new blood vessels, um, you're having stem cell release, mm. and you're also, as a result of that, now have more you know, oxygenation capacity just because you can increase more, more of your cardiac output. So it's okay. a bit of a different stimulus. Mm. And that leads to kind of what happens with all that oxygen in circulation, right? Mm -hmm. So with all that oxygen circulation, something happens that's very scary to people that are not in your audience which is called oxidative stress. Mm -hmm. um, oxidative stress is the idea that you're bringing all, of, well, in, 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 in this context, is that you're bringing all this oxygen in circulation. Those oxygen molecules are going to cause, some of them are gonna cause reactive oxygen species, ROS, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so ROS we think of as a bad thing if it's in too much quantity, but in small quantities or in short-term quantities, just like if you were exercising, just like if you were going yeah. in high heat, it's actually a positive because what your body can do if you have the ability, if you're healthy enough, is to have a reactive antioxidant surge to protect you. But it's that oxidative stress that's actually causing the immediate effects of hyperbaric therapy. It's causing, actually, what's interesting is causing a vasoconstriction. It decreases the size of blood vessels. And that's actually a positive in the acute setting because if you have an acute trauma, for example, you have a blood vessel that, that's been injured that blood vessel may be leaking, leaking stuff into the surrounding tissue, may cause swelling. If it's in the brain, it could kill you. So what hyperbaric therapy does is constricts those vessels down, preventing a lot of that leakage from happening. But again, the net is that you've had so much oxygen in circulation that you're getting more oxygen delivered anyway. Mm -hmm. That diffusion capacity goes from about 64 micrograms outside of a, a blood vessel to about 164 or more. So if you can think about that, in tissue perspective, that's saving tissue from potentially dying in acute trauma by getting more oxygen to it, and then saving tissue and saving you potentially from dying from trauma if you can decrease swelling in areas like the brain where it can't swell without killing you. So immediately hyperbaric therapy has this oxygen infusion effect that causes oxidative stress. And as a result of that, a lot of the power of the immediacy of that oxygen is really seen. And that's what I've just discussed, of course. The, um, decreased swelling, vasoconstriction, but it also causes an oxidative stress on your bone marrow and neural tissue, your brain tissue, causing a massive release of stem cells. Oh, wow. So these are stem cells that are coming from your own body that are mobilized and then are brought to areas where you can, where the injury is, where there's inflammation, where there's swelling, where there's degeneration, et cetera. So this mm -hmm. is really important, of course, not only for the immediacy of an acute trauma, but also for the long-term health of a tissue. Right. And so in a long-term strategy, a protocol of hyperbaric therapy, it's actually an epigenetic stress on the DNA itself 
causing expression and suppression of about 8,000 different genes that allow the body to heal and to optimize. These are genes that are responsible for growth, down-regulating inflammation like TNF-alpha, IL-1, IL-6, IL-12, and also um, up, uh, so down-regulating other genes that are responsible for inflammation itself and program cell death or apoptosis. So we have this massive amount of oxygen going in circulation. And as a result of that massive amount of oxygen, you're getting this healing. It's just a healing mechanism in all different, Mm -hmm. in all different aspects is the best way to say it and optimization as well. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Like uh, you, you, you did a really good job in like uh, bringing it all together in the sense that it is a hormetic stress and uh, that hormetic stress just essentially um, causes mild like a damage to your body but that damage gets rip- or that damage activates these other pathways that uh, inherently promote longevity and uh, anti-aging exactly and exactly and that's exactly why we're also combining it with a lot of other anti-aging and longevity strategies mm-hmm. and there's lots of different things we can talk about that in, in that context sim but one just up your wheelhouse is the ketogenic diet for example okay. um, the ketogenic diet you talk about a lot. We talk about fasting a lot. I know you have books on fasting. What we're doing in a lot of different contexts, in cancer, to at the most extreme, from a condition perspective, but also in optimization and performance, combining oxidative therapies is very interesting, especially mm-hmm. when you have oxidative stress protection in the context of the ketogenic diet or fasting. Mm-hmm. Because we do believe that oxidative stress um, is mitigated, especially in normal tissue, when you're in a, a fasting state or mm-hmm. when you're in the ketogenic state. So what we've been doing in the hyperbaric world is combining hyperbaric therapy with the ketogenic diet for anti-cancer or anti-aging strategies because you know aging yeah. and cancer go together. So it's basically <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. So we have some in the performance world that are doing it as a strategy without having cancer, mm-hmm. um, but sort of trying to do it as a preemptive kind of strike, um, doing a seven day fast, doing hyperbaric therapy at the same time, along with something like IV vitamin C and other anti-cancer strategies, maybe sauna, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of, lots of mod- lots of permutations of this, I guess is the best is, is way yeah. to say it, but oxidative stress is a big deal and it's, it can definitely be too much for some people. And I'm sure you know, and talk about this too, Sim, in some of your work is that Fasting and the ketogenic diet are not for everybody right away, mm-hmm. because if you have lots of inflammation going on, if you don't have good oxidative stress markers already, if you're already depleted in vitamins, and minerals, this this not this may not be the best strategy for you. But if you're relatively healthy um, and you're doing this in context of looking at the data, it can be very very transformative in a lot of different ways. Mm, yeah, that's 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 awesome. And I've also seen that uh, both fasting and keto. They're also used in uh, like um, mitigating the negative side effects of chemotherapy, and the mechanism is is essentially the same. That uh, while you're fasting, then you are imposing that same type of oxidative stress on yourself, uh, but they, but it has like a hormetic benefit that uh, makes your immune system stronger against uh, future stressors, especially in that fast state. And uh, you know right. that's why that's why combining it together kind of lowers the negative side effects of chemotherapy and uh, in, in, in conjunction with for example like hyperbaric then you would also see the same effect that your body would uh, essentially uh, it gets the beneficial effect of the hyperbaric uh, therapy 
but it's not like uh, causing uh, too much damage to the healthy tissues which you want. You want you want to like maintain the right. You want to maintain the functional tissue and muscle tissue and target the dysfunctional and uh, malignant cells. Exactly. Yeah, and I actually work with integrative oncologists that have those particular. Um, they, they do those particular things with, with their, with their patients. They mm. have them fast before chemo. And it's the same idea, protecting from oxidative stress, allowing the oxidative stress to go where it needs to go, which is be cancer killing and yeah. but not really damage the normal cells. And people do a lot better right. with fasting around chemotherapy. And I've had patients over the years that have done these kinds of strategies. I have a, a patient right now, or actually he's not really a patient. He's a, He's somebody that I've been kind of working with remotely. Um, he's got his own doctors and he's got um, glioblastoma mm-hmm. or a type of glioblastoma. I believe it might be astrocytoma, um, which is sort of in the same spectrum, but he's been doing a lot of work with uh, fasting with chemotherapy, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, um, lots of different strategies along the same lines as we're discussing. You know, this doesn't have to be in people that do have cancer though. It can be in people that are, you know, quote unquote, normal and healthy, and looking mm-hmm. to optimize because um, it's it's important that we have various strategies to work with that can optimize our physiology. Right. I think autophagy, mitophagy, in the in the sense of fasting, is is huge. Um, but we also know because of what hyperbaric therapy is doing, it's it's creating this sort of growth effect uh, in in normal tissue. Actually, not in cancer tissue because there's actually been some studies to look at this. But this okay. growth effect has a specific stimulus on stem cells, like I said, and these stem cells also create new blood vessels. And now we can actually do imaging or testing to show how these blood vessels regenerate in areas like the brain, the heart, and even in the sexual organs, helping with erectile (laughs) dysfunction as well. And there's a good study that was published about a year and a half ago on erectile dysfunction using MRI scans and perfusion MRI scans to show how the penis increases in blood flow after a protocol of hyperbaric therapy, for example. So (laughs) natural Viagra, maybe. (laughs) Um, But the heart is an interesting one because if you revascularize the heart, you can actually increase VO2 masks. So the VO2 max testing that you're probably familiar with, you Mm -hmm. can increase VO2 max on athletes and not even in older people by putting them in a chamber uh, for uh, a protocol of therapy, which is Mm -hmm. actually in this case between two and three months in the chamber. So not a small amount of, of time Monday through Friday with the weekends off kind of deal, but you can increase VO2 max that way. So it can be used from an athletic perspective to increase endurance. And we are seeing athletes use it now, especially like the strong men's and other endurance athletes um, are using it more, um, having more in, in my practice as well, use it for endurance before like maybe six months before their race or their competition. And then during their actual active training before the competition, using it more of a recovery and optimization tool in that capacity from an infl- inflammation perspective, hmm. because we're also decreasing inflammation in the chamber as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, it definitely has like, uh, many practical applications for both like diseased people as well as just athletes and the people wanting to feel more energized and uh, perform better. So what would be like some, um, more of these uh, clinical applications for hyperbaric, uh, like what, sure. kind of, what kind of diseases besides like cancer and those sort of things? Yeah, so in the U.S., there's there's an approved list of list of hyperbaric conditions that could be treated with hyperbaric therapy. Um, so the approved list includes uh, diabetic foot ulcers. So people that have diabetes that have ulcers on their feet, we can help them heal without 
potentially needing an amputation, which oh, wow. is obviously a, a significant improvement in their quality of life. Also patients that have had radiation treatment for cancer. So if they have had radiation and they've had injury to that tissue or tissue surrounding the cancer, hyperbaric therapy is a great, great therapy that can help revascularize that tissue, repopulate it with stem cells and connective tissue, bone, neurons, et cetera. So mm -hmm. very, very helpful. Um, also for chronic bone infections, we use it in combination with antibiotics. Flaps and grafts, so these are in plastic surgery where you have grafts to various locations, that uh, skin grafts basically that, that may be at risk of not doing well. You can use hyperbaric therapy to help. We also use it acutely in trauma as I was discussing before. And so trauma situations where you have an acute traumatic ischemia, basically you have an acute trauma where you have a low oxygen state. So using, using it sort of depending on where you are in the world for things like potential limb amputations, um, compartment syndromes where you get swelling in a blood, uh, swelling of an area of muscle tissue that's at risk of dying. Cyanide mm -hmm. poisoning, if you ever get cyanide poisoning, Sim, get into uh -huh. a hyperbaric chamber. Um, scorpion bites, um, black widow, not, what kind of, there's a spider, I'm forgetting the type of spider, um, spider bites, um, some other traumas, but um, mostly seen in the acute setting. Also diving, of course, so that's where hyperbaric therapy came from. It came from, from the, the, the treatment of divers and diving uh, injury or decompression illness. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the ones that are sort of more medical, the ones outside of the, the conventional medical paradigm for how we use hyperbaric therapy, traumatic brain injury, stroke, reflex sympathetic dystrophy, uh, Lyme disease, using it in dementia as well, Alzheimer's, vascular, Parkinson's, because of the, the neuroinflammatory downregulation pathways specifically. Mm -hmm. um, but when you're talking about a lot of these, we're talking about it in combination with other modalities, other therapies, other practices, health optimization medicine, specifically mm -hmm. in my practice, but also referring for lots of different types of practices and practitioners and therapies, et cetera. What else? Uh, Pre-post surgery. So we actually can optimize surgical recovery. So if people have any, uh, any type of surgery, we can optimize the healing from that surgery. 30 to 70% faster, you can heal inside the chamber. So mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not a small amount improvement. It's a significant improvement. Um, those are the main ones I, that are on top of my head, but there's, there's others, of course, too. Mm -hmm. uh, what about someone, um, you know, let's say biohackers <laughs> wanting yes. to improve their cognition and something like that? Does it, does it have like an effect on that? Yeah. So in the optimal performance category, there are a number of different levels of how we can use hyperbaric therapy. Mm -hmm. We're using it um, as a reverse aging protocol, a reverse aging strategy, I should say. And so mm -hmm. that really applies to biohackers, no matter how old or young you are, because if we're regrowing or regenerating or creating new blood vessels in the brain, for example, you are mm -hmm. going to think faster and you are going to think mm -hmm. better and, and, and easier. And so we have some studies that show that you can increase multitasking performance inside of a hyperbaric chamber. And wow. so <laughs> that's obviously because oxygen is, is your rate limiting factor to make energy, right? So right. if you don't have oxygen, you can't make energy. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's the final electron receptor on the mitochondria at the electron transport chain, excuse me. Okay. So as a result of that, you know, we know that you can increase the amount of energy inside of a chamber, increasing multitasking performance. So we have protocols for cognitive enhancement. Uh, we have protocols for endurance. We have protocols for overall systemic op optimization. And we have protocols now in, in combination with other regenerative technologies, whether it be PRP, stem cells, working on new, new, um, new um, protocols with neurofeedback and other modalities as well to mm -hmm. help optimize brain function. 
Um, this is also outside of obviously the medical system. Um, and we're all, and it's all working on when you have all these variable factors, right? You have hyperbaric therapy and you have neurofeedback and you have sauna and you have the ketogenic diet and it's very difficult. You can't make studies, right? Because you, you have too many yeah. variables here, but the biohackers don't care about that. So much. they care about <laughs> yeah. stacking things together. Right. My only, uh, what I talk to biohackers, biohackers, I'm very specific in the sense that just try one thing at a time. And if mm -hmm. you can, or, or adding one thing at a time, if you can, mm -hmm. and not add like 20 things at a time, because then it's difficult to measure, difficult to know, you know, what's working. And then of course, my other piece of advice to biohackers and optimal performers is measuring and quantifying, measure, quantify, and then test over time to kind of see where you're at, because mm -hmm. that's really the only way you know objectively how you're doing. And so that's kind of what I do in my practice now as much as I can. Um, if it's an, an acute issue, then I kind of throw the bus at people, right? I, mm -hmm. I will give them supplements. I'll have them do other therapies. I'll get them in the chamber. I'll tell them the fast or whatever. But if they have more of a, a chronic long-term issue or they're looking for optimization, that's when you really have to think about building up that foundation of health at the same time, or even before you get into a chamber, because in a hyperbaric chamber, we, we've already talked about this, you're sort of harnessing your physiology. You're making more energy at the cellular level in the mitochondria. And you have to be able to do that effectively. And you also have to be able to, to detox effectively too. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to get rid of all the garbage that happens when you're optimizing. So yeah. if, you, if your gut is toxic, if you don't have good cellular levels of vitamins and minerals and nutrients, if you're metal toxic, you're going to have a difficult time optimizing. Yeah. So in my world, it's looking at that first, if there's, a, if there's time, <laughs> if there's time to do it. Yeah. If there's not time, then just throw shit at the wall with good physiologic understanding of what you're doing. <laughs> so. right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So yeah, I think like um, a lot of people don't really uh, realize that um, like everything you do including detoxing including thinking including digesting food including sleeping and exercising all those things they require energy and primarily like atp and like right. you and like you just alluded to that oxygen plays a pretty important role in that uh, at least in like uh, transporting it around the body and uh, making sure that it's you know used the, the right way so yeah like, effective like anything that helps you to produce more energy is is good for your health and uh, performance and everything else right related. so uh, it's like a right. really important it's, part uh, yeah. yes exactly but it's also important as you know sim that when you're making all that energy you are going to produce more rust right more reactive yeah. oxygen species yeah. so too so much you have isn't to have, <laughs> right well you have to have the ability to right too much isn't good and your body has to have the the capacity to increase its antioxidant surge or have a surge of antioxidants that are in your system and ready to help you with with the oxidative stress and that's yeah. what happens with exercise too right so mm -hmm. your body has this stress which is exercise you're tearing muscles and you're getting huge like you are sim <laughs> and so <laughs> um and when that happens you have all this stress in the system you have inflammation and that's why you don't want to immediately go and have colds right you don't want to immediately yeah. take anti-inflammatories you try you don't want to have anything that's going to actually make that inflammatory pathway go mm -hmm. down at least initially because you want to have it so that your body can react and have an antioxidant surge and come back stronger than it did before and yeah. that's kind of what's happening in the hyperbaric chamber it's the same idea mm -hmm. is that you have about after about three sessions in the chamber you have a reactive antioxidant surge 
that equals the amount of oxidative stress that the system is under, under normal conditions. And this is under somebody that has normal physiology, not somebody that's under massive amounts of stress. So when I first started my practice, I didn't realize that as much. We talk about the first three or four treatments in the hyperbaric chamber as being stressful for people. I knew that much. And I saw people get really sick in some ways. They would get toxic looking. And sometimes if they had infection, for example, they'd get really sick. Like they'd have severe fatigue and they'd have severe nausea and they'd have gut problems or constipation, diarrhea. And that's Mm -hmm. really because they didn't have enough antioxidant and just sort of capacity to heal, number one. And number two, maybe even more primary to that, is that they didn't have the the cellular machinery to harness to be able to effectively produce energy. Mm, yeah. So if you don't have that, you are going to have significant trouble, at least initially in the chamber. You know, somehow the, the system seems to be able to correct itself for most people, um, but for a certain subset of people that are really sick, really sick, um, they will not do well. And mm. any benefits they get in the chamber, um, if they get any benefits, would be fleeting because their system is so toxic. So it was because of those experiences when I first started that I knew that I had to be referring to other providers to kind of help out from a systemic perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's when I got very involved in in understanding my ecosystem around San Francisco where I live, but also internationally. And I have a lot of great colleagues that I can refer to to help in various ways, um, depending on what's needed. And then I have my own practice now, which is the health optimization medicine work that I do that really serves as the foundation of my, my hyperbaric practice. I know hyperbaric therapy is not available to everybody um, because it's a technology that typically makes you travel to it. Yeah. M- most people don't have it inside of their homes. <laughs> and if they do have it inside of their homes, they have a certain type of chamber called a soft chamber or a mild hyperbaric chamber where mild hyperbaric chambers only go to about 1.3 atmospheres, which the equivalent in feet of seawater is 23 feet or so. Um, So not a huge amount of pressure. Those can be used for optimization strategies. So they're great for biohackers. They're great for uh, stacking of therapies. They're great for neurocognitive optimization. Um, But for systemic optimization, you really do need the deeper chambers. And those aren't as available. I don't know what's available near you, Sim, but for the most part, they're not as they're just not as available to the average person unless you have a a very severe condition. Yeah. 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 That's true. Uh, I wanted to touch upon like the oxygen aspect a bit more that is it, is it, is it, is is this the reason like why excess iron tends to be like bad for you because it creates this rusting effect that you um, oxidize your, you know, inner environments, but you don't have the antioxidants to buffer it out. So excess iron then tends to lead to more oxidative stress, etc. So with the hyperbaric, then you're essentially getting a similar effect, but you're uh, lowering the oxidative stress with the activation of your endogenous antioxidant defense systems. Sure. With iron, it's a little bit different. Um, it's something okay. called the Fenton reaction. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it's a reaction where you actually make a hydroxyl radical, which is a much more potent reactive oxygen molecule. It's actually okay. one of the most, it's actually the most potent oxidative stress molecule that we have. Okay. Um, it's more potent than hydrogen peroxide, actually. So mm-hmm. when there's excess iron, you actually have, so the Fenton reaction is good, is making this hydroxyl radical in, in the sense of, because we need, hydro, we need oxidative uh, molecules like this to help optimize our system in various ways and enzymatic reactions and be available for short periods of time. Uh, and actually we think that IV vitamin C in combination with 
uh, just of IV vitamin C itself can make more um, iron turn into this with this Fenton reaction, be okay. a positive in cancer. But iron itself does not have the same ability, as far as I understand it, to make um, the antioxidant surge because it's such a, a potent oxidative stress. Yeah. Um, but in a hyperbaric chamber, it's exactly what you said. We are causing enough oxidative stress to be dangerous, but not very dangerous in the sense that um, the body has this ability to produce this antioxidant surge. So NRF2 pathways are upregulated, superoxide dismutase, uh, glutathione pathways are all upregulated in, inside the hyperbaric chamber, for example. Okay. Well, yeah, that's good to know. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I myself have tried it like a few times and uh, I did notice like, um, like a short um, increase in energy and short increase in alertness right. after, after coming out of it, so to say. And maybe like it helps to mitigate some of the jet lag or m mitigates maybe some like uh, just sleep deprivation or something. But I, I haven't done it in like in a too consistent, in a yeah, yeah, in a consistent manner yeah. to notice like a huge difference. So if, if someone is al already uh, quite healthy, what would be something to notice uh, in terms of like, is it actually work working? <laughs> Right, that's a good question. So it depends on what the goals are to notice. If it's an exercise recovery protocol, we can see a noticeable difference, both in the soft and the hard chambers after just one treatment or even two. Mm -hmm. uh, where you can see that your recovery time is typically less. Uh, sometimes it could take maybe two to three achievements in the soft chamber, depending on what you're pairing it with or stacking it with. If you're using lights or sauna or cold and things like that, you can definitely see a significant benefit even with just one treatment. Um, in a soft chamber for like an exercise recovery or jet lag or just a little bit of a burst of energy kind of feel kind of like what you described sim mm -hmm. but for more long-term benefits you're looking at protocols that can range anywhere between in the short in the, on the short side 10 treatments to the long side as many as 80 treatments mm -hmm. right, but depends on what your goals are if you're looking for cognitive optimization with more of a with a long-term benefit just outside of or outside of the, the treatment protocol you're looking at at least in my experience about 20 treatments in the chamber okay. um, even with a soft chamber at 1.3 you can do them twice a day with four hours apart between the sessions so you could do it in 10 days um, but if you did that you can see a cognitive optimization benefit typically for a period of time anywhere between a month to six months depending on the person mm -hmm. um, so that's going to be significant. Um, and so the sort of the treatment 20 for the long-term benefits is our kind of our cutoff where we see angiogenesis or the new blood vessels forming, stem cell release to significant capacity. So I like people to have these more long-term benefits to get in a block of 20 if they can to start. And then they mm -hmm. can use it more intermittently because once you have those epigenetic changes on the DNA and then you're intermittently using oxygen, at higher levels in the chamber, you can sustain those epigenetic changes over the long term. So I'll have people do like a, a protocol of 20, and then they'll do it intermittently when they need to, when they have exercise recovery needs or jet lag needs, or they mm -hmm. wanna use it for sensory deprivation and go meditate in the chamber. That's one of my favorite things to do, mm -hmm. actually, is meditate in the chamber because it's almost psychedelic how much oxygen, and you have this all, <laughs> you know, your multitasking performance equates to your ability to like, meditate in some way i don't i don't really understand how it works but you clear your head and, and like you're expanding it's like it's it's crazy but um but so you can see these benefits as you're going but if you really want to see long-term benefits that block of 20 is really what i recommend most people do mm -hmm. yeah are there like any uh, 
let's say, uh, non-technological ways of creating a similar effect. Like there are some breathing exercises and the Wim Hof method or something like that. Is, is there a way to like also create a similar hormetic effect with uh, some breathing techniques or uh, yeah, so hyperoxygenating? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, the breathing techniques mostly are hyperventilate. They're hyperventilatory mm-hmm. stimulus. So you're basically breathing off CO2. Uh, Wim and other breathing are basically similar to his are breathing off CO2 mm-hmm. when you hyperventilate. And so, right, you have your CO2, O2 balance, right? You're breathing in oxygen and you're breathing off CO2. You know, my kids are telling me about this at school with trees and the trees have the opposite, right? The trees <laughs> take in CO2 and make oxygen. That's why we like trees. But anyway, so when you're doing that, you're breathing off all that CO2 and you're making the body more basic or alkalotic. As a result of that, you do have the ability to get more oxygen into your tissue. Okay, mm-hmm. so there is some sort of modulation because you're increasing oxygen carrying, you're not really increasing oxygen carrying capacity, you're in- increasing oxygen delivery. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little bit different, but you know, nobody's made these uh, sort of equivalent ideas of, from a math perspective, we don't exactly know. But the idea is if you're doing exercise or doing other techniques when you're hyperventilating, you are getting more oxygen that's being delivered to tissues. So there is some equation there that might work. Um, There's also the ability to use exercise with oxygen. So there's these other therapies called exercise with oxygen therapy, where you breathe more oxygen in a face mask while you're doing exercise. Mm -hmm. And there may be some equivalent there as well, because you're increasing cardiac output. And as a result of that, you may be increasing oxygen. You are increasing oxygen delivery, no doubt about it. So there may be some equivalent there as well. Now you can also go to like a place like the Dead Sea, for example, which is under a mild amount of increased uh, atmospheric pressure because it's the lowest place on earth. And mm-hmm. there's actually been studies to show that people that go there have better cardiac capacity, pulmonary capacity. Um, they also like the water because it's salty right in the mud and putting your mud all over yourself and right. those kinds <laughs> of things. And that, that definitely has a benefit too, but actually being under that pressure itself is therapeutic. In fact, there is some interesting work that's being done anthropologically, looking at the amount of oxygen in circulation or the amount of oxygen in the environment back when the dinosaurs lived and mm-hmm. prehistoric times. And there actually was probably more oxygen in the environment then, and that's potentially why you had larger animals as oh, well. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely some reasons to think that more oxygen is good. <laughs> um, that's for sure. We we obviously know that oxygen is important, is essential for life as we know it. Um, but it's about the balance, like anything else. And it's about understanding the balance when you're doing these types of therapies. Yeah, yeah. Too much oxygen can, can also be lethal, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Especially continuous oxygen. So yeah. um, in the chamber, we're doing intermittent exposure, right? You're in the chamber between 60 to 90 minutes. But I trained at a facility that had a, had a, a intensive care unit where we people keep people on high flow oxygen for days, weeks. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, that is a lot of oxidative stress the body can't handle. You could argue that maybe it could handle it if you gave it more antioxidant capacity, um, which is interesting because there have been some studies looking in especially very, very sick patients and giving them low-dose IV vitamin C, which is an antioxidant at low doses. Mm-hmm. And if it's an antioxidant and helping people potentially uh, recover from sepsis or recover from severe infections that drop your blood pressures and, and can make your lungs not work very well. There may be some, some role for antioxidants in these kinds of patients to mitigate damage, but uh, that's kind of off topic. But just to give you a sense that, um, that yes, it's an intermittent exposure 
to the oxidative stress that happens in the chamber. That's, okay. that's important to know. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good to know. Uh, uh, well, well, when talking about, you know, oxygen and uh, air, then a lot of people also may, may think, uh, how does it, you know, in regards to air pollution and uh, that sort of things, air quality. So people are living, you know, indoors primarily, and they're also like exposed to different, uh, you know, air pollution on a daily basis. So uh, would like hyperbaric be helpful for mitigating some of the effects of that? So I think the best way to describe it is that you know, we've had lots of fires here in San Francisco and a lot of the fires put really even crappier stuff in the air, right? Not even just building or burning uh, trees and brush, but also homes and, and all the toxin pollutants, toxic yeah. pollutants that are made in homes, et cetera. And I've seen, especially on the lower pressures, like the 1.3, those can be very, very helpful for just regular uh, pulmonary capacity to really help. And I think it's the same reason as you're describing it, because there's so many pollutants in the air. Uh, there's so much stuff that's not oxygen. And just breathing some extra oxygen um, can just be really beneficial. It can be really ener energizing and make you just feel better. Um, I have to be careful when you go to deeper pressures. If you have any lung problems or lung disease or, or lung exposures of toxins that can cause lung inflammation, because the hyperbaric environment with deeper pressures and more oxygen does cause that oxidative stress. So we have to be careful there and kind of screen people appropriately. Mm -hmm. But I think the bigger thing to discuss is just, you know, we're all very toxic now. We live in cities, we live in environments. Um, I think, were you on a farm, Sam, or something? I don't know where you live. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I live in, on an island, so I'm pretty, oh, pretty yeah. clean. But I, like, yeah, you're clean. Like when we were in London, then I definitely noticed like the air quality is definitely not, not really good. And you can feel, right. feel the difference. Right. And I think what I was kind of driving out there is that it's really important to understand what our toxic exposures are and trying to quantify and measure kind of where we're at there and, and, and make sure that we're using the right supplements and, and diets and other practices and techniques getting in this, do it all together in a way that can you know, keep you as healthy as, as possible when you don't right. live on an island um, <laughs> like you do, uh, Sam. Yeah. But so in general, I would say yes, it can be used in that capacity uh, to make people feel better, but it's it's a bigger strategy than, than just that. I think. Mm -hmm. Well, at least it's going to you know trigger the uh, detox path pathways uh, that then then will help you maybe clear out some of that those toxins. Right, and we do have some of that ability in the chamber. We use it in combination with with heavy metal chelation, for example, for people that have had mercury or lead exposure. Um, you don't want to do that. Um, on its own, typically with some of these meds, especially if you're if you're mobilizing mercury or lead in your brain, you know that can cause more inflammation. So yeah. hyperbaric therapy seems to be a way to help mitigate the inflammation that happens with the mobilizing of some of these metals and helping with the detox pathways as well. One of the things I didn't mention is that one, it's not only just oxygen that's important in the chamber; it's actually the pressure, like we talked about. That's what drives oxygen in circulation. Without mm -hmm. that pressure, you wouldn't be able to get oxygen into the plasma you wouldn't have that much more oxygen in circulation if you just had a face mask on, for example, of extra oxygen. Mm -hmm. But also, when you're in the chamber, you're getting that pressure, and we think that pressure is actually making more easy water, more okay. water that's depolarized or polarized, actually, excuse me, around lipophilic or blood vessel membranes. And as a result of that increasing flow around blood vessel membranes, but also, or inside the blood vessel, I should say, and also lymphatic flow as well. And then mm -hmm. lymphatic and blood flow improvements can help with, you know, detoxification on the lymphatic side and then oxygen delivery 
on the blood vessel side. So extremely okay. important that pressure, which is also, I think, uh, vastly underappreciated in my field, is a huge component of what I think is helping in the chamber outside of oxygen itself. Well, that's uh, really interesting that the, uh, it's the, the fourth phase of water. Like yes. Structured water. Yeah, so uh, Gerald Pollack talks about it a little bit, and we haven't done the studies yet to see exactly, but we do have a sense that when you put water in a vortex, right, it's going to make more structured water. If you pressurize water, it seems to do the same thing. So, um, and obviously light exposure helps with easy water production as well. So sunlight combined with, with uh, sunlight plus, you know, your blood vessels is going to increase blood flow, blood flow, but also looking at various ways to increase um, the blood vessel di dilatory stimulus. So if you do light therapy, for example, before you get into a hyperbaric chamber, you can increase the amount of easy water plus the blood vessel vasodilation. And getting into the chamber, you're going to increase oxygenation. So you, mm -hmm. you think of various ways you can kind of bring these things together. Yeah. Where can people like uh, get to try these things? <laughs> like they, they aren't very conventional. And I, do, I don't think that there is any uh, chambers in Estonia. The closest one maybe like in Germany or uh, London. But, uh, There's like, no uh, chambers in Estonia, really? Well, I'm not sure. Like I haven't looked for it, <laughs> yeah. but um, maybe there is. But maybe I uh, definitely haven't heard. Probably of at it. the hospital. Yeah, probably at a hospital and more of like a. Okay, like a so the, so so they are like that common in the sense that uh, local hospitals tend to have them. Well, maybe not a local hospital, but a trauma hospital, like a trauma center. They typically okay. will have them, especially in academic facilities where there's medical students and residents and things like that. Um, but outside of, of the academic centers, it really depends on where you are in the world. Mm -hmm. um, in most European countries, there are independent hyperbaric facilities so that you can go and not have a quote-unquote medical condition to go and get it. Germany being one of those places, London or, or the UK being another. Um, Ireland has a couple that I'm aware of. Spain has a couple that I'm aware of. I'm not sure about France. I haven't spoken to anybody in France specifically. Okay. Um, in the US, we have about 300 facilities that are outside of hospitals that can treat people outside of the medical paradigm. Um, and then you have, and that's typically hard chambers. Um, and then you have soft chambers, which are diffused throughout all of Europe and all of Australia and America and in Canada, et cetera. And the soft chambers, as we've been discussing, they do have a role in optimization. Their role mostly is in neurocognitive optimization, exercise recovery, jet lag, um, maybe some of the neurocognitive injury or diseases like autistic spectrum and chronic brain injury, maybe in patients with strokes if they can't get to a heart chamber, um, cerebral palsy, and some of the other neurocognitive congenital things that may be happening. Mm -hmm. um, so those are everywhere, and I'm sure they're in Estonia as well. And, so, and, I, and, I, don't, and I don't say people shouldn't use those chambers uh, unless they have a, a couple different things. If, if you have any chemical sensitivities, the chambers are made out of usually petroleum-based products. So that can be so if you have sensitivities, it can, be, it can make you more sensitive. If you have autoimmune problems, typically not the best place to get treated. Uh, you need more pressure. If you have chronic infections, probably the soft chambers aren't best for you because we think for chronic infections, you need more pressure, more oxygen, more oxidative stress, except maybe for some of the, the bugs that don't like any oxygen. But yeah. overall, for chronic infections, use the, use the hard chambers. Um, if you have any chronic or open wounds, the, the soft chambers aren't the greatest. Um, if you have any of the approved conditions that are at least approved in my country, in the U.S., I recommend going into a hard chamber. But mm -hmm. other than that, there may be ways you can use the soft chamber, especially in a stacking way with supplements, practices, technologies, practitioners, 
and then hyperbaric therapy in the soft chamber, you can have these various layers that can make it pretty, I mean, almost as effective as the heart chambers for people that don't have what I've just described as things that would, I think, preclude you from going into the chamber. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. And uh, what what are like say, the regular costs of the sessions? Uh, like the chamber mm-hmm. itself is pretty expensive, but uh, what what's like a single session cost usually? Yeah, so the soft chambers cost anywhere between like eleven and twenty two thousand USD. Mm-hmm. So um, the equivalent, as you can describe, I'm not sure, but in euros it'd be you know less, obviously. Um, but uh, each session for a heart chamber treatment in the in the US the the range can be anywhere from $175 US to 350 to even $425 US in San Francisco mm-hmm. or in New York where it's the most expensive it also depends on the type of heart chamber there are single person hyperbaric chambers heart chambers that one person goes into called monoplace chambers they're also called multi-place chambers where you can have multiple people all treated at the same time and so as you can imagine, those treatments can be less expensive because more people are getting treated at the same time to decrease costs. Mm-hmm. So those are also the chambers that are used in diving, diving areas around the world, um, used in, in academic facilities a lot for, um, for lots of things that trauma-related require more supervision and more monitoring. So you can actually have an attendant in there um, that, that's actually working with the people that are severely injured. Right. But they're also using this uh, therapeutically to have multi-place chambers for people that have like traumatic brain injuries and strokes and other motor deficits that related to their that are related to their injuries. You can have an attendant in there working and doing physical therapy and doing occupational therapy and speech therapy inside the chamber. Okay. Um, second best to that is doing that immediately after getting out of the chamber because that's when you have all that oxygen still in circulation, like we were chatting about. Yeah. So once you have all that oxygen circulation still, you can use that oxygen to help with therapy afterwards because it's going to improve neuroplasticity. In fact, there are some studies to show this. If you actually use oxygen after being into the chamber, so not only just getting out of the chamber and after getting out of the chamber, starting your physical therapy and occupational therapy, but getting out of the chamber and then continuing to use just oxygen via face mask or nasal cannula, and then doing your work, cognitive work, physical work, whatever, you have increased carrying capacity, increased oxygen utilization in the brain for 24 hours, actually, until the next day. So significant capacity just by increasing the amount of oxygen that you're breathing in a face mask after being in the chamber. So Mm. um, that's what I've been doing for more of my my clients here when possible. When it's possible, I try to combine those two together. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. Not Uh, always easy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So yeah, it's definitely something that people, um, if if they have like some sort of a like a more serious condition, or they just want to you know overcome some chronic fatigue issues, then they definitely may want to try it out and uh, see if it helps. I would imagine that it does help because, uh, like we mentioned, like energy production is such a crucial part uh, of right. everything uh, related. Uh, so for serious conditions, though, Sam, I would just say that it's important that you have a a foundational approach first. Sure, Getting into the chamber sure. may make you worse um, if you don't all also address your cellular machinery, your vitamins, your minerals, your cofactors, your toxic exposure, um, your amino acid levels, your macronutrients. You know, mm-hmm. you have to you have to address all of that right. uh, if you really want to maximize your benefit of being in the chamber or just maximizing your health. And that's where you know Dr. Ted's work in health optimization medicine fits into my practice, which is in, in those kinds of people uh, where. 
I do feel like they need a bigger strategy before they're going to benefit or in the optimal performers as well in biohackers. I do feel to, for the most bang for your buck, because like we said, hyperbaric therapy is cheap. It's not cheap. It's expensive and it's not always accessible. If you're mm -hmm. going to do it, you want to maximize. It. Yeah. So let's talk about, uh, you know, optimizing the, the metabolism and uh, the uh, micronutrients you mentioned uh, like these that you need to have like sort of the foundational baseline so um what's what is the baseline yeah so the way i i work this is the way that dr ted talked about i'm sure in your in your podcast with him is his program he pioneered it it's called health optimization medicine and when i met dr ted uh, a couple of years ago and you meet somebody as brilliant as he is you kind of ask him you know why are you here still? Like, why are you, what mm -hmm. gets you up every morning? You know, because you're so smart. Everybody else is so stupid, <laughs> comparatively <laughs> speaking. And he's like, well, Scott, you know, what I really want to do, what, what I really would love to see is if we can move the needle, needle on health just a little bit <clears throat> and, and, and not focusing on disease and conditions because that's the purvey of, of illness medicine and, and conventional medicine, even functional medicine is looking at the root cause of illness. What if we could just cultivate health in our clients? Mm -hmm. that I believe that he believed could really cultivate, really move the needle on health. And, and it really fit into my paradigm, my perspective, because I grew up with a, a father as a chiropractor who didn't do any medicine at all. I right? didn't do any conventional stuff at all. Mm -hmm. And I saw his patients get better and they didn't usually need any of that stuff. And so I always had the perspective that you didn't really need a lot of that conventional work done. You didn't really need it to, you, you, you could really work on that, foundation first if possible and if not first at least in parallel to the work that you were doing conventional conventionally and have a significant impact on health and so what dr ted parent pioneered here was a way of looking at metabolic health or metabolomics specifically and metabolomics is looking at the real-time metabolites that are happening that are ongoing that are in your cells in your gut um, that are that are dictating your health over mm -hmm. over in right now right now and over the long term too but definitely right now so and that's exogenous metabolites those are things that are coming from outside of our environment that's things like the toxins that we're exposed to um the sunlight we're that we're hopefully getting you know mm -hmm. the good things in our environment too and along with the endogenous metabolites those are things that are produced by um our our inner workings our gut right so our um, our microbiota um our hormones um, our macronutrients, our micronutrients, um, and also um, things that are happening at our cellular level, um, our um, antioxidant levels, and our plasma amino acid levels, and our mitochondrial function. So we can, we can assess all of this now, and you can actually create um, a plan for, for clients using this cellular data that takes all these exogenous and endogenous metabolites and creates a plan to balance detect, well, first of all, detect and then correct and balance um, your metabolites. So you are mm -hmm. an optimal state for somebody that between 20 and 30 years of age, because that's what the program is all about. And once you're there, once you've got fantastic macronutrient levels and micronutrient levels and your oxidative stress levels are down, your antioxidant, antioxidant reserve is good, your plasma amino acids are good, so you're, you're getting the right amino acids and you're able to make muscle, able to make tissue, you're able to detoxify, your proteins well, then that's when you have your optimal foundation. And you can build anything on top of that and supercharge it even further. My supercharger is, is hyperbaric therapy, mm -hmm. um, but supercharging it with extra fasting or more exercise or sauna or cold, you know, all these different things are going to optimize that system even further. 
Right. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to be talking that with uh, uh, about it with uh, Dr. Ted in like a few weeks. I'm getting him back oh, cool. on the podcast. <laughs> so Good. it's uh, awesome. Awesome. Like a follow up for this episode. Good. And, you can uh, talk to him about his uh, nootropics as well, because, you know, the nootropics and that category of, of compounds that Dr. Ted is developing and others is, um, you know, is, it really works best when you're optimized, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but even if, even if you're on the path to optimization, it's going to help you as well. Um, but really, it's, it's kind of funny, right? You take nootropics to help your brain function better. Um, you, it's because you're, for some people, their brains aren't functioning well. They just need something, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it can help. Um, but it's going to help even more if you're already more optimized, of course. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, yeah. On that note, like uh, every time I've seen you, then you've had like a blue colored tongue. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so what is up with that? Yeah. So the blue colored tongue. Um, so what? So Dr. Ted pioneered health optimization medicine. I am the the chief operating officer of health optimization medicine here in the United States, and helping to bring it to the rest of the world. We're actually going to. We're actually just finishing up our educational coursework for practitioners and doctors. So you don't need to be a doctor to learn this stuff, which is also mm-hmm. super cool. Um, but we're actually finishing up that coursework so that doctors and practitioners can bring this into their own practices and treat their clients or cultivate health in their clients, not focusing on disease and focusing on health, mm-hmm. right? So that's the nonprofit. And then I have my own practice here in the Bay Area in San Francisco, where I work with clients doing health optimization medicine. But with Ted knew from the beginning and what I know, of course, being a physician is that along the path to optimization, you know, whatever that path is for you, you're going to have lots of bumps on the road, right? You're going to have lots of challenges along the way, whether that be sleep, cognitive function, mood, energy, fatigue, et cetera. You are going to need little boosts along the way, right? And so the idea that Ted had was let's create a company that produces products that are focused on some of these roadblocks or these these challenges that people face along the path to optimal health Mm -hmm. um, to 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 cultivating health using health optimization medicine and so he focused on the initially the clinical uh the the endocannabinoid syndrome the endocannabinoid system and something called um i'm gonna screw it up right now it's it's called clinical clinical endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome uh, which is a syndrome related to poor endocannabinoid tone. These are, normal, um, these are normal receptors that we have in our body that help with inflammation. They help with uh, neurotransmitter function. They help in various ways that keep our system uh, toned well so that we respond resiliently to things like pain and inflammation, basically. Mm-hmm. And with, with poor tone, you are going to have a higher risk for having diseases and conditions that are related to inflammation and um, uh, what's the other one I'm, I'm forgetting, but yeah, inflammation and pain, for, for example. So mm-hmm. um, when you, and so the idea with the, the product line was let's create um, a product line that, that actually addresses those issues. The first on that product line is a nootropic called blue canatine. Mm-hmm. Blue canatine is a product that has four nootropics in it, inside of it in one, all in microdosed form, caffeine, nicotine, uh, methylene blue, and CBD. CBD, not necessarily thought of as a nootropic, but CBD in this category, of course, is going to help with endocannabinoid tone, number one. And number two, it also helps with the the sharpness of nicotine and caffeine and that stimulant effect and kind of helps round it out. So the blue tongue 
portion is methylene blue. Methylene blue actually works like oxygen at the cellular level, and that's why I was so intrigued by it initially, because it actually can serve as an electron acceptor, just like oxygen, on the electron transport chain. Okay. So it can make more energy. And so you probably know where the most mitochondria in your body are, um, Sam, but the most, the, the most heavily um, infused areas of mitochondria, um, uh, the cells of the most mitochondria are in the brain, your heart, mm-hmm. and your liver. And yeah. so um, that's where we see methylene blue actually concentrate, interestingly enough, when they do the studies. And so methylene blue is helping with energy production. So it's energy producing, it's neuroprotective as well, as you'd imagine, because it's creating more energy at the cellular level. So mm-hmm. that's good stuff. And then nicotine is, it's, under, it's underappreciated outside of the biohacking community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but in the biohacking community, it's well known to be, a, a, it's a stimulant, number one, but it's also a nootropic. And it helps with, it helps with memory retention, memory uh, production in the sense of bringing it from long-term to short-term storage and then helping you with executive function. And then caffeine, of course, is a stimulant itself um, that's been around as long as the other ones really. Um, right. <laughs> except methylene blue hasn't been around as long as the rest. Methylene blue was actually uh, formulated and made in a lab back in the 1870s and was actually the first drug that was, reg- that was registered with the FDA, interestingly enough. Hmm. Um, it's got a really colored history. Yeah, no pun intended with the color, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, it turns your tongue blue. That is true. Um, and it is, it's fun because it does do that, but it's, it's an effect that's helped. It's actually working at the cellular level. And so we call it blue is the new smart for that reason, of course. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 I've tried it a few times and, uh, I do notice like, um, while you're taking it, then you get this, you get a, like a feeling of this very smooth cup of coffee without the jitters or without the overstimulation. So I've definitely, right. I've definitely seen like some um, like a nootropic effect from using it. Yeah, some people compare it to the the effect of L-theanine a little bit, mm. um, and I think L-theanine has a similar kind of effect to CBD in this capacity. Although CBD is probably a little bit better um, when it comes to at least our formulation. Although you know L-theanine in you know there's there's actually some infused coffee with it now, and also obviously tea like green tea is a fantastic way to kind of smooth out that rise as well in, in the caffeine burst. But the, the amount of caffeine in this particular formulation, blue canatine only is one quarter a cup of coffee. So it's not as much of a stimulus or as a, a caffeine surge. Again, it's a, it's a microdosed caffeine. It's microdosed uh, methylene blue. So it's only five milligrams. It's a small dose of methylene blue. It's, it's a small dose, a microdose of nicotine at one milligram, mm-hmm. uh, which is less than you get in a cigarette by a long shot. Um, typically, like the nicotine gum is like two to five milligrams. So um, it's, it's much smaller. And then uh, the CBD is, is uh, a five milligram dose, which is, which is just enough to kind of round it out without having too much that you sort of lose some of the stimulant effects of, of the other, uh, other products. Um, I should just also mention with nicotine, nicotine is addictive, no doubt about it, but it's a lot less nic- uh, addictive if you actually chew it or ingest it. If you smoke it or you vape it, it's actually quite addictive. So I don't recommend anybody smoke or vape anything. And I'm in the hyperbaric (laughs) business. People breathe oxygen in my chambers. And that's what I want everybody to be breathing is more oxygen. You know, not not anything that is combustible in your lungs, please. And so, um, yeah, so vaping nicotine, I don't recommend. I don't recommend, um, you know, smoking nicotine for sure. Um, But ingesting nicotine, although it's possible to get addicted to it, it's much harder. Right. 
that's true. <laughs> what about what about your own uh, personal biohacking routines? What are you mm. like besides the the blue canteen and the hyperbaric? Yeah. Yeah, those are uh, those are two fun ones, of course. Um, so I don't I don't actually have hyperbaric therapy at my house because my house is too small. So I have to go to a facility that's close by to get my treatments. But I do use it um, empirically or or prophylactically as much as I can for cognitive enhancement. I've I've used it in the past as well for concussions that I've had. I've used it; and it's been fantastic. Um, so yes, I use those too, um, absolutely. <clears throat> um, so interestingly, I did a, a caffeine detox over the last three or four weeks because my receptors were just not sensitive to caffeine anymore. So um, I also find in my strategies, coming off of things is very important too, right? So um, not doing things regularly is also really good for your system. That's why intermittent fasting is good, not everyday fasting. Um, You can't everyday fast anyway. Or even the ketogenic diet over the long term, I don't think is good. Um, I know that there's a guy named Rob Wolf who talks about metabolic flexibility. Um, I'm not sure if he came up with that term, but I didn't come up with it, that's for sure. But I like the idea of having the ability to go and burn sugar and burn fat and being able to do it. And I think the body is is sort of primed to be metabolically flexible. So that's right. how I live my life mostly is, is, is with metabolic flexibility. And so that's you know high-intensity interval training. That's um, I do have a sauna, uh, infrared sauna in my home, which I'll do. Um, so I'll do that pretty, pretty regularly, but not every day. Um, and then I have my supplements that I use that are targeted to what I need using the health optimization medicine framework that you'll talk to more talk to Ted more about as well. Um, but I, I use my supplements in a very targeted way and I measure uh, what I need. And then I also use adaptogens depending on what I need as well. Um, if I have feelings of adrenal stress or if I'm doing more traveling, um, if I need more sleep optimization, you know, I have various supplements that I'll use depending on what's needed. Um, I'm also... Um, getting more, I, 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 in medical school, my friends had shirts that said sleep is for quitters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but over, and then I have had, I have four kids, Sim, as you know. So, um, you know, I didn't get a lot of sleep for a lot of my life, but, um, but now I've, I've been focusing a lot more on sleep, which has been great. Um, I really do see the difference. Um, and so, you know, I love getting into my infrared sauna, you know, just getting a shower and then going to bed, I sleep like a baby. It's like my fantastic sleep hack. And then now I get between seven and eight hours of sleep. Um, I'm, I'm doing great. Um, I also really focus on um, practices that, uh, that allow you get, to get back to your breath and meditation in my day. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I find um, meditation be, uh, to be hugely transformative to what I do um, on a daily basis with my patients, with my clients in health optimization medicine, with my family, with my kids. Um, and so I, I try to use some sort of journaling um, as well most days. And, and I also get to practice a lot of the work that I do with my children who are very young. I, my oldest is nine in December. So they're at the point where I can practice a lot of the tools and techniques that I'm working on uh, and see how they work. You know, you can also, because they don't have a filter, right? They don't have this, the cognitive filters that we've built up over the years that we've been alive to protect ourselves from society in various ways like they're basically especially like my two-year-old this is like basically psychedelic at all times right so <laughs> like they're just sur- they're just surrendered to the world as it is and so my nine-year-old is getting more cognitive maps of what's happening but even that is like it's fun for me because i could on a daily basis i can practice these various techniques to see how i can reframe their focus or how i can understand 
what they're doing, like my son who's two, and I can see like just why he's having a temper tantrum. And I can think, wow, that's pretty amazing actually. You know, like, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and you can kind of see that. And, and so for me, it's like life is a learning experience and I try to, I try to make it that way, even in the hard times. And so um, I, I would say those are my main things. And then, you know, my diet is mostly like a low carb strategy overall and with intermittent fasting. Um, I tend to, I was doing long, longer term fasts a while ago, but I've taken a break. Now I'm, I'm thinking about coming back to them. It's been a little while. Um, it's winter time, so it's a good time to fast. Well, it's coming to be winter, so it's a good time to start fasting, even in California. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, it's good to hear that uh, you're on the bandwagon, <laughs> so to say, that you're doing all, all the good stuff. Uh, well, it's been, yeah. I don't live on an island. I have EMFs all over me, and uh, <laughs> there's other toxins in my environment, but I'm doing my best to, uh, to optimize using what I know best, which is the foundational stuff. And which is for me, health optimization medicine, but then the practices that, that focus on circadian rhythms, evolutionary biology, toxin exposure, et cetera. And then, you know, getting into the chamber is fantastic when I can do it. Yeah, that's good. So it's been great talking with you, Scott, and uh, uh, we'll probably have to do like a follow-up as well in the future to talk about all the other things that you do at uh, health optimization medicine. Uh, but, well, you'll have uh, Dr. Ted on there too. So um, yeah, for sure. we're happy to come on and, and, and Sim, thanks for all the work that you do and all the, the writing that you do. Um, I'm just, I always get to, I, I ask people, people ask me all the time, well, how, how do I fast? Or, or, or how do I understand about in this particular topic? I'm like, oh, Sim has five books. Just, just look at one of his. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Um, and thanks for being accessible to everybody. I really appreciate all your work. For sure. So, thank you. And uh, before I ask my last question, where can people learn more about you and your work? Oh yeah, so um, Instagram, again, working on, being in the, in the footsteps of giants like you, my friend. Um, but I have my Instagram handle is at Dr. Scott Schur, S-C-O-T-T-S-H-E-R-R. Um, we also have the, uh, the transcriptions website or the transcriptions Instagram and website. It's T-R-O scriptions, like a prescription. Um, so if you check, out, check it out on Instagram, you'll see lots of blue tongues. And that's, that's fun. You can join the crew soon. We're going to be scaling that production very, very soon for uh, at least domestic U.S. production and then hopefully international very soon to follow. Mm -hmm. um, also on Facebook, I have my integrative HBOT site. So integrativehbot.com is also the website. But then if you go to Facebook, I have all my podcasts there that I've done. I have all my media. I post articles as well. I'm doing some there. And then I also have a Twitter handle, but I never check it. So <laughs> yeah. we only can do so much, Sim. only can do so much. <laughs> true, true. So you're, There's you're also... It's also healthoptimizationmedicine.org, I should. Oh, sorry. It's um, homehope.org as well. Okay, right. Yeah, well, we're going to leave all the links in the uh, show notes. And uh, my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you'd have sooner that improved your body and your mind? Mm. So what I'd wish I'd known sooner was that your head gets in the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a cognitive processor by nature. So I think of uh, when, I, when, I, when I'm exposed to whatever it is, stimuli outside of my environment, I think about them cognitively first, right? And then you sort of get, and then as a result of that, you process through your brain and all your previous history and, and all your biases. And, it's, and so what I wish I would have known earlier is that there's another way, that there is a way to become centered and sort of surrender to your true self, which is outside of just 
your brain and sort of this meat avatar, right? That's what Dr. Ted likes to say is like, you're like, we're all these sort of meat, you know, avatar programs and that they've all been built on top, mostly as survival mechanisms for your fucking ego. So if you can just bring that to the side and then surrender to sort of your true self. And the way I've done that is through meditative practices, really, is to become more in tune with myself. Um, everything else has been easier. Um, mm -hmm. And so meditation has been transformative for me. And a lot of work that goes around meditation, and whether that be movement or whether that be, you know, exploring the worlds of medicines and plants. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But, you know, mm -hmm. the ideas of, of how all this stuff can work together. Um, had, I wish I had known about this, not when I was a teenager, for sure. But if I was 23 years old or 25 years old, um, that would have been the perfect time, I think, I feel that I would, be, would have been for me. Um, even maybe a little bit before that, maybe when I was 18, if it was under the right circumstances, but, um, depending on the situation and, and the, the constructs, but th that would be the most, the most transformative thing for me. And I think from, I think for many people, um, would be that the, the reframe is that your brain eventually is going to get in your way yeah. and it's going to, it's going to make it more difficult for you to, to, to succeed and to be, and to have a, uh, really the, the optimal quality of life that, that you would hope to have. For sure, yeah. Like it's it's so true that um, most mo the biggest reason why people like fail to take action or they're afraid of something is there's just fear and mm -hmm. being stuck in their own heads. So that's a really good good advice, and um, I'm sure like people of all all walks of life uh, feel this in some sense. Yes, downregulate the default mode network, man. That's the way to do it. <laughs> awesome. That's a that's a good phrase for it. <laughs> It is. I mean, that's where the ego arrives. That's where the ego is. Yeah. Um, that's where the ego is housed, um, lives. And so there's lots of different ways and you guys can Google all the ways you can de you can downregulate your default mode network. But the biggest <laughs> and the one you can do every day is by meditation for sure. Yeah. Uh, I have to agree with that. Uh, so yeah, thanks for coming Scott. And, uh, we're probably going to see each other again in a few months. <laughs> I don't I'm... doubt it. There'll be a conference. <laughs> I'm sure that we'll see for sure, each for other sure. soon, Sam. Keep up the great work and good luck in, on all the, the speaking engagements and all the work that you're doing and keep me posted on your work too. For sure. We'll definitely stay in touch. All right. That's it for this episode of the Body, Mind and Power podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.